Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Our first lesson today comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, 20th verse of the second chapter, and listen now to the Word of God. And it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. You heard the first lesson from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Galatia, the churches in the area that uh, were being proselytized in Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, those letters, that letter was circulated to the churches that uh, are included in Acts 16 today. And we're not going to actually go through and read the uh, entire chapter, but I want to ask you to go ahead and open up the Pew Bible or the Bible that you brought with you this morning to Acts 16 because I'm going to be referring to it and walking through that chapter during uh, the sermon this morning. So that will be our scripture, uh, our second lesson incorporated into the proclamation this morning. So will you pray with me, please? Let me, God, we surrender our wills to your perfect will as we come to your word, your holy word, your powerful word, your word for us, your word that is sharp as a two-edged sword. We pray that by your Holy Spirit that you will you'll crack us open that you will reveal yourself to us, that our minds might understand, that our, our wills would grab hold, and that we would live out the word that you give us today as your grateful and faithful people by your grace. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be found acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. And we pray in the name of the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. And Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Whether you know it or not, you are a missionary, and you are on a mission. What is your mission in life? What is your mission in life? Some of you may be on a mission to lower your golf handicap. Some of you may be on a mission to hit a certain goal weight. 
Some of you may be on a mission to reach a certain level in your career. Some of you may be on a mission to get your children raised and out of the house and on their own. Some of you may be on a mission uh, a mission to accumulate a certain amount of resources so that you can retire with security. You know, there was that old t-shirt that was seen around, the one who, who has the most toys wins. Some of us are out collecting toys. Some of us are out collecting things. It reminds me of the story that Jesus told, a parable about a man whose goal it was, whose mission it was in life to accumulate as much as he possibly could, to harvest larger crops so that he would tear down his small barns and build larger barns so that he would have financial security and could rest and eat and drink and be merry. But you know, the, the parable that Jesus tells is, is that on the night when he had built his larger barns and, and felt safe and secure in what he had accumulated in accomplishing the mission of his life, that the Lord came to him and said, you fool, tonight your very life is required of you. He had forgotten that one of his goals should be to remember not to die. Because the fact of the matter is, whatever our mission is, we're not going to get out of life alive. What is your mission? What is your goal? In John Ortberg's book that we'll be studying starting Wednesday night, it all goes back in the box. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. In his book on this topic, Ortberg remembers what King Solomon said as he was tormented by this realization at the end of his life, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to someone who comes after me. And then Ortberg says this, the executive who works from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day will be both very successful and fondly remembered by his wife's next husband. And then he tells this story, a story of a man dying at home in bed, and he could smell the aroma of the chocolate chip cookies, his favorite, baking downstairs, and he wanted just one more cookie before he died. And he dragged his body out of the bed, and he rolled down the stairs, he crawled into the kitchen, and he reached out a trembling arm to grasp one final cookie when he felt the sting of a spatula across the back of his hand. Put that back, his wife said. Those are for the funeral. <laughs> Just one more cookie. What is your mission? Is your mission for yourself? Or is your mission larger than yourself? Is it directed to others? Is your mission a mission of God. Somebody said, Chuck, I wish we, we had the Ignite service because this would have been a great time to show a clip from the Blues Brothers who were on a mission from God. Is your mission of God? Is it larger than yourself? 
This morning we look in the, the book of the Acts of the Apostles at the 16th chapter, which includes an account of the second missionary journey of the great missionary, the Apostle Paul. And in this chapter, I want us to walk through it and see the, the selflessness of this missionary, the selflessness of his mission. It was much larger than himself, a mission that was given to him by God. What is your mission? As we look at this chapter this morning and as we have been going through the entire book of Acts, it, it is important for us to understand and recognize that this early church that we are studying, is, is, we are more like that church than at any other time in the history of the church of Jesus Christ, we are told. A church that, that has been moved from the main street to the back street. A church that has lost and, and sees diminishing influence in the world. A church that we're, where we serve in a culture that has become more pluralistic, that has become post-Christian, that has become post-modern, post-denominational, that has become more individualistic and self-centered and focused. A church that is operating in the world that is more like the time of Paul than ever before. To understand that, we need to grab hold of this truth. The writers that have uh, studied the history of the church and where we are in this day and time are talking now about a missional emphasis. Reminding us that the church does not exist for its own self. Even our book of order in the foundational principles of our, of, of our polity, the foundations of who we understand ourselves to be as the church, recognizes that we do not exist to support and perpetuate ourselves, that the church is that body that is sent into the world even at the risk of losing its own life. It's the world into which we are sent beyond ourselves by ascending God. And Acts reminds us of that. I was also reminded of the, the ultimate mission of the followers of Jesus Christ that is to be selfless, to die to self. In a poem that was included as part of the funeral service for one of our dear members. A poem dear to Martha Stanford and asked to be included on the order of worship for her homegoing service was a poem entitled Only One Life, a poem written by C.T. Studd. I love that name. And on this copy of it, it simply says he was a missionary. The first lines read, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Writers are telling us now that God's mission is calling and sending us. The church of Jesus Christ 
to be the missionary church in our own societies and the cultures in which we find ourselves, these cultures are no longer Christian, and some would argue that they never were. Now, however, their character as a mission field is so obvious as, we, as to need no demonstration. The issue for the Christian church is its faithful response to this challenge. What can we learn in this day and in this time to meet this challenge? A challenge that has become so self-serving in culture and self-serving even in the church. Some of you may have heard of the recent statement that was made by Victoria Osteen, Joel Osteen's wife. And I do not disparage the, the ministry of the Lakewood Church by pulling one comment, but I think it's very telling what has now gone viral across uh, much of the internet about what was spoken in a worship service by Mrs. Osteen. In his blog, Dr. Jim Dennison writes, it was 36 seconds heard around the Christian world a recent Lakewood, at a recent Lakewood church service. Victoria Osteen told the congregation, and I quote, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy this morning. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good, because God wants you to be happy. And when you come to church and when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself, because that's what makes God happy. Amen? And the church said amen. But the picture that we see of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a missionary, is much different in Acts 16, and I want to walk through it very quickly. Again, open your Bible to Acts 16 as we look at the selflessness, the willingness of a, of a follower of Jesus Christ to die to self. The chapter begins right after Paul and Barnabas have gone their separate ways, and Paul has chosen to go with Silas and Barnabas has chosen to go with John Mark, who deserted them on their first missionary journey. But Paul would not take John Mark. He said, he's a quitter. I don't want him. And so he took Silas. And we follow them in this chapter as they go to Derby. They move from Antioch up north into Galatia. And there they meet Timothy. And in the life of Timothy, we see a clear example of selflessness. Timothy has a Jewish mother and a Greek father. And he has been reared and taught in the faith by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice because Paul talks to Timothy later in Timothy's letter about that faith imparted to him from his grandmother and his mother. This is Timothy. He is the first second-generation Christian in the New Testament. And we read that because of his Greek heritage on his father's side, he is uncircumcised. And Paul says to go with us, Timothy, I ask that you be circumcised. And in a selfless act, dying to himself, he agrees. And this is noteworthy because in the previous chapter, if you remember last week, that the church in Jerusalem said the Gentiles, the non-Jews do not have to be circumcised. But here is Timothy voluntarily upon the request of Paul, undergoing circumcision 
so that it would not be a stumbling block to the Jews that they would encounter in their missionary journeys. A selflessness. Paul and Silas and Timothy then travel through Galatia, and they want to go to Bithynia. They want to peel off into Asia, but the Spirit of God says no. Being a missionary of Jesus Christ on a mission of God means being sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. You know, I am praying hard that, that the Lord would send me to somewhere like New Zealand or, or Hawaii or, or some exotic place to be a missionary for the Lord. But really, the, the Lord may be turning me just down the street to Booker T. Washington. And in a similar fashion, the Spirit of God prevails upon Paul and he receives a vision to go into Macedonia where they are saying, please come and help us. Please come and help us. And so in a selfless act, they do not go into Asia. They go to Macedonia where they go to Philippi. And there they meet Lydia. Lydia, who's a woman of influence, a successful businesswoman, the seller of purple. And she is gathering in a place of prayer outside of the city. Important that we see that the church is operating outside of its walls, outside of the places in the community. But people are gathering to pray by the river. There, the Spirit of God prevails upon the heart of Lydia. And it says that her heart was open and she received Paul's message. And immediately she was baptized. And in an act of beautiful selflessness, Lydia, this woman of influence, invites them to come to her home. Selflessness. So many times our homes have become our private places, and they should be to a certain degree, but many times our homes are the best places for ministry to take place, even when it's not clean and as presentable as we would like for it to be. Lydia says, come to my home, and there they are received. A beautiful act of selflessness in her gesture. And then as Paul and Silas continue their ministry in this chapter, we move to, to verse 16. And there Paul encounters a slave girl who is able to be a prophet and, and uh, uh, has a, a gift of, of spiritual divination. And there she prophesies as she sees Paul and Silas. Every day that she sees them, she announces these men are servants of the Most High God, come to show you the way of salvation, and she will not be quiet. Finally, Paul gets tired of hearing her proclamations. She's interrupting his sermons, and he rebukes the spirit in the slave girl, and it comes out of her, and she is made whole, and she is no longer now a source of income for her master. She is no longer a slave. And this is causes trouble. When Paul speaks the truth in love, and this selfless act landed him in jail, Paul and Silas are put into jail as they are brought before the magistrates. And in verse 22, we see that Paul and Silas are flogged, they're imprisoned, they are put into the center jail cell, they're, they're their feet are bound in chains in the stocks. And in verse 25, we see how they respond to this, ad, to, this, uh, to this difficulty, this adversity in their lives. For as at midnight we read that Paul and Silas were not singing a song, Woe is me, 
how pitiful I am, but no, their song was praise be. Praise be to God. And the other, the other prisoners in the cell listen to their songs and to their prayers as they sing a selfless song to the glory of God. And in the midst of their worship, there is an earthquake and chaos the chains are loosed and the doors fly open, and we are ready as readers of Acts for Paul and Silas to walk free. But they stay. The jailer comes rushing in, ready to find his prisoners released and ready to face the wrath of his superiors, ready to fall on his own sword. But Paul cries out in the darkness, do not harm yourself, we are here. In a selfless act, Paul and Silas have stayed in the prison. They have refused to be set free. And in an act of ironic twist in the gospel, it is now the jailer who is set free. For upon hearing that Paul and Silas are still there and have not run, he falls at Paul's feet and asks him, what must I do to be saved? The jailer received the gospel, and where does he take Paul and Silas to minister to them? But to his home. And there in the jailer's home, the members of his family receive the gospel and are baptized. What a selfless act by Paul and Silas, not to save themselves, but to offer salvation to another. The magistrates, when they hear word of what has happened with the earthquake and the event with the jailer, they say, let these men go. Just get them out of town. But here's an important point in this chapter. Paul says, no, an injustice has been done. We are Roman citizens, and you unjustly, you unjustly punished us with no trial, and you flogged us publicly. And that is against the law for a Roman citizen. You must come and make it right. Paul will not be a doormat for the gospel, but he will, he will point out the justice and bring it into the light. And so the magistrates must come to the prison to apologize and to publicly admit their wrong and escort Paul and Silas from the jail. Being a follower of Jesus Christ does not mean that you lay down and let anything go but it means that we stand up for injustice and wrong and oppression when we see it, when unfairness is visited upon ourselves or someone else. And so it is in this text this morning. And Paul and Silas are then released, and they go to the house of Lydia, and then they move on, and the gospel continues to spread. In this chapter, we see that being selfless Dying to self, being on a mission larger than ourselves, God's mission, answering a call, brings salvation to all races and classes. To Timothy, a second generation believer, Lydia, an influential businesswoman, a slave girl is set free. A jailer receives salvation along with his entire household. And there is a lot for us to learn from Paul and these early missionaries. And we are missionaries too. Called to a counterintuitive gospel that is selfless about dying to self, centered in love 
that gives itself away because we are first love. It's about finding our lives by being willing to lose them. And to say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith. Not by what I can see, touch, taste, or feel, but by faith, taking steps of faith, following the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. This is true for us as individuals. This is true for the officers who will be ordained and installed. This is true for us as a church. And it doesn't require that heavy of a load or that great of a change, but for us to continue to say as the body of believers, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And to pray with Jesus, not my will, but thy will be done. May it be so for us today in the days to come as we follow our sending God and pursue His mission to the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.